Hello, I'm glad you've joined us online today. One of the top questions we ask in life is, do I have enough money? For most people, this is the number one question, but we talked about last week how there are much more important questions to ask. In this series, we're exploring what God has to say about the topic of money so that we can be freed up to focus on the bigger and more important questions in life. There was an ancient king who was the wealthiest king on earth in his day. His annual income today would have been in the billions of dollars. And there are descriptions of his wealth that are so extravagant that many have doubted the Bible's descriptions of that wealth. But then archaeologists began to uncover evidence that matched the descriptions found in the Bible. And and frankly, that happens a lot. The Bible is constantly being validated by archaeology. The king's name was Solomon. He used his money to conduct an extensive search on the meaning of life. And he tried all the paths that people try today. Pleasure, building things, houses, palaces, constructing things, parks, and, 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 and all kinds of stuff. Solomon wrote most of the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And he said this about money in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. When money shifts from something you use to something you love, you have stepped on a treadmill that never stops and keeps picking up speed. If you don't get off intentionally, if you don't step off intentionally, you you won't you 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 just keep running. You will never be able to keep up and you will never have enough. Chasing the American dream is exhausting. Last week I encouraged you to align your dreams with God's goals for your life. And if you do, he promises to take care of your needs and to give you peace as you turn to him and trust him. When I received unexpected money from an inheritance, uh, which happened a couple times, or maybe from a tax return, I immediately start thinking, how can I spend this money? I'm a spender, and I've had to throttle back my spending for sure. I've needed to. I've had to. I've been forced to. My wife, Cindy, is not a spender. She is prudent, and I admire that a great deal. In marriages, if couples aren't on the same page, Regarding money, it creates an enormous amount of tension and frustration in their marriage. 
George Gallup says the number one source of arguments in marriage is family finances. In 65% of all marriages, the couples argue over money. Last week, we started asking the question, do I love money? And there are three basic things you can do with money. You can spend it, which focuses on the present. You can save it, which focuses on the future. Or you can give it, which focuses on another future, we said. This is no surprise that Americans put spending at the top. And God gives us a list of priorities for what we should do with money. He reverses most people's native reflexes, which are to spend. His priorities are to give, then spend and save, save and spend, whatever order you put those in. There are three ways also that we can get money, or, yeah, that we can get money. Earn it, receive it, or borrow it. Today we're going to talk about number three, debt. Borrowing money is not crossed off of God's list, but it comes with all kinds of warnings about the danger it represents because it, it doesn't line up with reality, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Our culture has ignored these warning signs for the most part. We borrow so we can spend. We, we go into debt so we can have the kind of lifestyle that we want. We want it. The term for this is consumer debt. Instead of living inside the boundaries of the income, Come that God has provided for us, we borrow money to simply increase our lifestyle far beyond the boundaries of the money that we have. It, it turns out that my naive instincts as a spender match most of the U.S. Consumer debt in our country is at a meteoric all-time high of $14.9 trillion. Around 2008, it was $2.5 trillion. And that was an 82% increase from 2000. It is just going sky high, the amount of debt, the consumer debt that we have. Our, our current condition is a debt crisis. Americans are drowning in debt. And this, this commercial cracks me up. Let's watch it together. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house in a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Need a smart way to consolidate your debt? At LendingTree.com, banks compete, and you choose a loan that's right for you. When banks compete, you win at LendingTree.com. Today we're going to look at the dangers of debt and how to get free from debt. The Bible has a lot to say about this. First, there are many warnings in Scripture about the reality of debt. The first dose of reality 
about debt is that it makes us a slave. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrow, borrower is servant to the lender. The more debt we accumulate, the more we are chained to the one who lended us the, the, the money. Your future choices are limited by the arrangement you've made with the bank or other lending institution or a family member or friend. If you don't follow through on your part of the financial arrangement, your future closes in on you. It, it gets limited real quick on what you can do with your money. We don't think about this when we go into debt, but but what we have done is exchanged future freedom for money now. Does this mean that we should never borrow? No. Sometimes we get an exchange that makes sense to go into debt for, like a house, a shelter for the family, or an education. These can be good trades for a reduction in freedom. They're not always good, but sometimes it can be. Borrowing to increase lifestyle or to maintain a lifestyle you can't afford is never worth the trade of future freedom. Our current relationship with borrowing to increase our lifestyle didn't really exist until the 1920s. For years, Ford dominated the car market. Henry Ford focused on refining the manufacturing uh, process and reducing costs. He had one car, the Model T, in one color. You can see it on the screen. Cars were still too expensive, though, to buy with cash for most families. And GM, General Motors, was having trouble competing So they applied what they saw happening in the fashion world. They decided to make cars that appealed to style, power, and prestige. And they introduced model years. They sold cars in various colors and offered more models. In their marketing, they appealed to lifestyle. To help people buy cars, they created the General Motors Acceptance Corporation, GMAC. They said, we will accept you if you just have a down payment for the car. In just a few years, two out of three cars were purchased on credit. The easy monthly payment allowed more people to purchase cars, and in less than 10 years, GM surpassed Ford in auto sales. That makes sense. That's a little history of consumer debt. A second dose of reality is that it limits our freedom to love others. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. If if we're in debt, We are completely free to serve God and others because we are chained to paying off our debt. God wants us to make the most of 
the opportunities in life as they flow by. Some opportunities require financial freedom. There is an opportunity to give generously and move God's work forward. And you can't, you can't give because you're in debt. Or there's an opportunity to travel to a conference to learn or a need surfaces from a family member or friend. And you can't help because you're in debt. Before you borrow, realize that you are exchanging future freedom for money now. Dose of reality number three, consumer debt is almost always an attempt to break an unbreakable law. Here's the unbreakable law. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. What you are going to eat in the future is what you're planting in your life today. That's the unbreakable law. This is a basic core reality of life. If we want good stuff in the future, we plant the seeds today. You and I reap what we sow. That's what the scripture says. That's the law. The unbreakable law. The best stuff grows when we delay gratification. And the worst stuff tends to grow when we feed it with immediate gratification. We mock God when we try to work around reality like this. We can't keep living on debt because at some point we're going to have to pay the piper. We're going to have to pay the debt, either either ourselves or our kids and maybe grandkids after we're gone. There are unbreakable laws of life that will break you if you work against them. So let's turn now and look at what Scripture says about how to get free from debt. First way to get free or stay free from debt is to choose contentment, to choose to be content. Contentment is a choice. It's, it's learned. It's not earned. My brother-in-law had a friend who had an income of $100,000 a month, and he couldn't pay his bills because of his debt. Contentment is not tied to how much money we have. It's a core attitude to learn to get free from debt. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have, just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. We get a lot of help with discontentment. Companies send, spend, they spend billions to try to make us want what they have to sell. The cost of a 30 second commercial on this Sunday's Super Bowl is $5.6 million. They spend a lot of money to, to make us want what they have to sell. It's, it's hard to get away from advertising. Personal ads, personalized ads, uh, come up on my social media 
scroll often. Uh, going into debt to maintain a lifestyle, the one that you see in marketing, flies in the face of reality. The, the word desire in Ecclesiastes 6.9 can be translated appetite. And appetites are never satisfied. It's, it's very like, likely that you have a hunger for something right now. Um, we, we must keep our appetite for food in check or it hurts us. And in the same way, we, we must keep our appetite for more stuff in check or it will hurt us or hurt our children. After we're gone. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you have a personal relationship with God, you have everything you need. You, you can learn contentment as you walk by faith and trust him. Second way to get free from debt is to run from new debt. If you find yourself in debt, Scripture says, get out of it as quick as you can. Proverbs 6.5 says, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of a fowler. The Thompson's gazelles can reach a speed of 50 miles an hour when they're chased by uh, their natural enemy, the cheetah. The problem is, cheetahs can do 62 miles an hour. <laughs> that's not that's not good. God has given, however, the Thompson gazelles endurance and the ability to turn more quickly than the cheetah. They can outlast cheetahs over long chases. And this compares to getting out of debt. Getting out of debt is a marathon sometimes. God will work with you, but you have to be determined to get out of debt. Run from new debt. Don't look into buying something on debt. If, if you are struggling with consumer debt, don't go near it. Put as much distance between yourself and debt as you can. A third key to gaining freedom is spend less than your income. It's not, not brain surgery for sure. To gain or to get free or to stay free from debt, it's pretty simple math. Your outgo has to be less than your intake. To pull this off, you must know exactly where you're at. You need to be aggressive in limiting your uh, your spending if you're in debt. You must track income and outgo with a budget. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Last week, I suggested the 10-10-80 plan, and here's how it works out practically. The total income is, if it's eight 
$80,440, which is the average income in California, less the tithe, $8,045, tithe is 10%, less savings, $8,045, it's wise to save for the future, and we've suggested 10% for future and emergencies, and then less taxes, six. Taxes are 18 to 25% in this income range, and this is 20%. If you're not in debt, your balance would be $48,262. That's what you have to spend. If you have debt repayment, another 10% should go to that repayment. Uh, you, you, you use 10, 10% as a number to work out of debt. The balance, if you're in debt, is $40,217, and that's the amount you have left to live on. You and I need self-control, and we need help from God, and we need a wise detailed plan like this to get out of debt or to stay out of debt. Debt is not forgiven in Scripture. It it can be used wisely, but if you have trouble with credit cards, you should probably go on an all-cash basis until you dig out of the hole. The final thing to get free from debt is to give to God first. This is totally counterintuitive, but here's the promise you see in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Your level of generosity is a spiritual matter, more than, maybe more than going to church or reading your Bible or other things, other religious things. God is generous, and if you follow Christ, he's going to make you more like him. He will grow your generosity. Your level of generosity also is a major gauge of your heart for God and your faith and your trust in him. This passage tells us to give the first fruits of all your produce. The Lord doesn't want us to give him the leftovers. He wants us to give off the top. That's how we express the faith that we have in him. If you have the faith to give first, right when you are paid, God promises to give you more than you need. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. This is how you find out God is real. <laughs> Money, your finances, are a very interactive way of discovering the reality of God, that that he works when we do what he says. You give to him first, you limit your spending, and you watch him work to provide over and above what you need, your vats will be bursting with wine. 
it's a scary thing to give off the top because it's a big risk. But if you shrink back from the risk, you never find out what God can do and you don't experience how real he is. He is real. And he has made these promises and he comes through on those promises. If you're buried in debt, it's tempting to hold back on giving until you get free from debt. But if you do, you miss the opportunity to bless others and see God work on your behalf. God will work on your behalf when you give first and trust him to provide. Be as generous as God tells you to be as you crawl out of debt and watch the Lord come through for you. If you're in debt to maintain a lifestyle that's above your pay grade, you need to wrestle with contentment until you pin contentment down, until you nail it down. This is gonna, this is an ongoing wrestling match for me. And maybe it is for you. I, I must choose to be content with the level of prosperity God has given me. And he has blessed me abundantly. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. We need to be satisfied. We need to trust God that he's given us. And he does. He's given us everything we need. And I'd like to wrap up, as I always do, by encouraging you to take some next steps this morning. We get to know the Lord better by obeying his commands. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he, he is the one who loves me. Uh, he will be loved by my Father. I will love him and show myself to him. That's how we get to know God. That's how we understand more about his provision, and his reality. Finances are an interactive part of our walk with God, our obedience to him. When we obey him in the financial arena, we experience the gracious provision of God to help us, and we know God better, and our faith grows. It it is truly amazing. To watch God grow your faith as you focus on obeying him in your financial stewardship, the way you handle your money. So here are my suggestions for next steps. My next step today is I will commit my life to follow Christ and trust him to provide for me. Maybe you wrestled with contentment and you've been considering committing your life to Christ for the first time. And you you really want you want to do that. You're ready to do that. Then make that decision today. If if you want to know more about what that means, check on the back of the uh connection card. I would like to meet with someone to help me clarify my next steps, my commitment to Christ, or 
check beginning a relationship with Christ. I want some information on that. The second thing you could do to follow through on this message, um, pick one of the areas that I've talked about to get free from debt and focus on that. Maybe God spoke to you about being content or running from new debt or spending less than my income. Or giving to God first. God comes through over and over again for those who obey him. Trust him. Give what he's called you to give. And what he's put on your heart to give. And you will find his blessing in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the abundant ways that you provided for us, God. I, I bless you, and I praise you, and I honor your holy name, because you take care of us. As we set our heart on following you, putting your kingdom first, and your righteousness first, you provide more than we could imagine. And I pray that you'd give us the ability to take these next steps that you've laid on our heart today. There may be others that I haven't mentioned, but help us, God, to take these steps of obedience. It it may involve risk, but you will come through as we trust you to do so. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.